Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome into the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. Evan Lazar joined as always by Alex Barth. And today, July 5th, the day after July 4th, I think we're all dragging through the day a little bit today. I, I like the July 4th, Alex, when you get the 5th off, right? Like, what happened yeah. to that July 4th? Let's go back to that uh, holiday weekend style, whereas this time around, it was like yesterday was like Sunday, right? You know, you, you, had, right. to, you had to get up and, and work today. It was kind of a bummer. But, hey, listen, it's uh, it's good. Well, you, might, you might have treated it like that. I certainly did not. <laughs> So I apologize. I'm a little groggy. That, that, that's that's true. That's true. Uh, Alex and I were together uh, on Nantasket Beach in Hull uh, yesterday, and uh, I had to drive home at, at a certain point. So I, I wasn't quite as uh, partaking quite as much in the festivities, let's say that, as some of the other people at the event that, there yesterday. But it was fun. We had a blast. Now we're going to talk some Patriots and Exactly three weeks from today, uh, three weeks on the dot, veterans have to report to training camp at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. And three weeks from tomorrow, uh, believe it or not, first day of training camp, July 27th. It's basically here. I mean, look, with three weeks is not that much time, right? That's going to go by in a blink of an eye. And so the offseason is essentially over. We're wrapping it up. We're seeing players more and more guys working out posting on Instagram I retweeted something uh Jalen Mills he was working with Jamar Chase uh DeAndre Swift and Leonard Fournette I'm assuming they all have the same agent or something like that manager some sort of connection there uh, to bring those four guys together kind of an odd group but yeah uh three weeks away from the first day of veterans reporting the training camp a three day three weeks in a day away from the first day of training camp so at this point in the offseason I always do my most important Patriots list every year the top 10 players that are the most important to the team's success in the upcoming season I like to use the Jenga analogy right you pull this piece from the block of, of Jenga pieces who makes the, cra- the the tower crash right Who who's the one that is the most important Obviously, Mac Jones is number one on everybody's list, as he should be. So we're going to look at two through five-ish on this list. I've already published six through ten, so this is a little sneak peek for everybody. They can go check out the written versions on clnsmedia.com. But a little sneak peek of one through five for me, but I also wanted to get Alex's opinion on his top three or four guys, other than Mac Jones, of course, on his most important Patriots list. So let's start with yours. Let's go you know, from the – Four to one, right? I guess okay. you look at it. So number four, who you got there? Yeah, I, so number four, I have David Andrews. I think that, and, and that's not necessarily as much an X and O's thing, but I think his crucial role is we saw last year early in the season when they had some new pieces on offense and a rookie quarterback, yeah. the communication was an absolute mess up front, and it created a lot of issues. Obviously, Mac has another year of experience under his belt, right? And that's big. But you're looking at potentially four new starters on the offensive line if you count, you know, Win and Brown and new positions based on what we saw in the spring. That's not necessarily going to be an easy adjustment for anybody, for the linemen, for Mac, whoever. And 
David Andrews is that one returning starter. He's a captain. He's a guy who is a true communicator who has yeah. always kind of taken that role as the center. You don't have an offense if you don't have an offensive line, plain and simple. And, you know, if you want to say, is he the best offensive lineman? I think there's a case. I know some people might say Trent Brown, but yeah. he's the one making the calls. He's the one setting the protection, you know, along with Mac, but he's the offensive lineman doing all that. Uh, I, I think David Andrews is tremendously important to this season. I had David Andrews at seven. You make a very compelling argument. He's certainly in that conversation for the top five most important players. I think the reason why I had him down the list just a little bit is because center inherently is not a premium position. So there are players, pass rushers, tackles, uh, kind of tease what I have coming up yeah. ahead of him on the list. But see, you know, I don't do premium positions. Everything that you said though, is hundred percent spot on about David Andrews, his communication, his ability to set the mic points, uh, get everybody to be pointed in the right direction. It's, it's really a dance with the offensive line and everybody has to be in sync. He's a major, major part of that. I also think that his, uh, you're, I'm not big into like the, I guess the bravado or the, the, the you know, get tough as nails types of guys or the grind tone setter, but he's, he's a, a tone, tone setter. setter. Absolutely. A tone setter comes in lunch pail type of guy uh, every single day grinds Sundays. I think it was last year, right? Where he stood up for Mac Jones after the play, he actually got a flag for it, but I don't think anybody minded, right? It, it was the exact type of thing that you want to see from somebody when your quarterback gets hit late after the whistle, to have your center or anybody else really stand up for your quarterback as instantly and as aggressively as David Andrews did exactly what you want. So I have no arguments with you having David Andrews that high whatsoever. My number four on my list is Christian Barmore. I don't know if you had him in your top three or not, Alex, but I just feel like if this defense is going to be able to succeed this year, and really I'm just looking for them to be above average, right? I, I think we can see on paper, they're probably not a lockdown top five, top three type of defense, but if in order for them to be an above average defense and stay afloat on that side of the ball against the Buffaloes of the world, they need Christian Barmore and the guy that I have at number two to wreak havoc in the pass rush. Those guys need to get after it and they need to get after the quarterbacks because they're not going to have, J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore in the secondary like they once did. So in order to mask some of those issues in the secondary, their most talented players in this defense arguably are the guys up front, like Barmore. So I had him at number four. I'm not sure where you would have him on the list exactly. I, I probably would have him five or six. The reason I don't and, – and a lot of what you said is correct, and I'll get into mine. My two and three are kind of related. Yeah. Um, the reason I don't have him as high is when we do this exercise, right? The most crucial players. I, I look a lot at usage rate. You know, how often is this guy on the field? Sure. That's why part of the reason I put David Andrews higher. Ideally, he's playing 100% of the snaps. Like, he's not coming off the field during the season. I think even at his best, Barmore's probably a 65-70% usage rate guy. And that's nothing against him. That's just the nature yeah. of the position. So this is where, you know, premium position. I won't go off reputation, but he's going to be a rotational player. Whereas there's some other guys who you're looking at ideally 85% up. And I just think those guys are naturally a little more important to use the term we're using to, to structure this list um, just because they're on the field more. If you want to change it to impactful players or whatever, I might put Barmore more differently, but yeah. I just, again, the usage rate just puts him a little lower on my list. 
Yeah, I, I again, I, my whole argument for Barmore being so high is that if this defense is going to be decent, they're going to need to get after the quarterback. And he's going to be, right. if not the biggest piece of that, the second biggest piece of that. So, all right, so who's number three on your list? And if you want to relate it to number two, go ahead. Yeah, so three and two are related for me. Two is Matthew Judon and, and three is Jalen Mills. And the yeah. reasons why are they don't have much of a secondary, especially at the corner position. There's a ton of question marks there. And if they're going to be successful defensively with this secondary, they have to get to the quarterback. They have to get to the quarterback often. We saw last year how different the defense looked when Matthew Judon was on versus when he was off. Judon getting to the quarterback is the the whole thing. So that's why I have him at number two, because I think the the defense is going to go as Matthew Judon goes. The reason I have Jalen Mills behind him at number three is, well, if there are games where Matthew Judon gets neutralized, Jalen Mills is going to need to show you something. He's going to need to be a number one corner. If he can't be at least what he was last year, you hope he's he's improved in the second year in the system. But if he can't be at least what he was last year, there is a massive, massive, there's going to be a massive issue on the back level. And if you lose him, again, there's guys that maybe have some upside, right? I've been very compliment, complimentary of Jack Jones, and we'll see what he gives them. Malcolm Butler, if he can return to form his last full season, I think he's a competitive player, but those are question marks. Those guys are question marks. And if you lose Jalen Mills and you go just with those question marks, it could get ugly. It it could get ugly at the cornerback position. So I have Mills three. Ideally, Matthew Judon takes some of that pressure off, but he's not going to take it all off. You still need Jalen Mills to go out there and look like a number one corner. So I had Jalen Mills at number nine, certainly in the top 10. But the reason why I had him a little bit lower than you is because I'm not actually sure there's a significant drop off from Jalen Mills to Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler. Like there we'll could see. be though. There could be in theory, but bo- all those guys, maybe not Butler just because he had the year off and we don't know hundred percent what he is coming back. But Terrence Mitchell's tape last year, albeit in Houston, wasn't that far off from what Jalen Mills produced with the Patriots. So I look at it and say, if they have to go from Jalen Mills to Terrence Mitchell, are, are they really it's not going from Steph Gilmore to to Terrence Mitchell or JC to Terrence Mitchell, right? It's a little less of a gap there. So I kind of look at corner in a similar category as what I looked at as the wide receivers is that they are all interchangeable in some sort of way. And I don't know if Jalen Mills is one tier ahead, two tiers ahead, but I don't think he's, at the top tier and Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler are at the bottom. Right. So I think there's less of a drop off there, but I certainly had him at number nine uh, easily in my top 10, a very important player in this defense because he's the one guy out of that outside cornerback group in particular that, you know, what you're getting, right. You, you, you really don't know what you're getting from Malcolm Butler. When he comes back, you really don't know if Terrence Mitchell is going to be a fit here. Jalen Mills, you have the tape from last year. You know exactly who he is. You know exactly who he's going to be for you next year. My number three on my list is Trent Brown. And it it relates back to what I was saying about the drop-off. The issue that I have with this is that if Trent – first of all, last year when the Patriots had Trent Brown versus didn't have Trent Brown, it was similar to Judon being on and off, right? They they were a different offense with Trent Brown in there last year. Secondly to that – if they don't have Trent Brown, then it probably means that Justin Haran is playing. Then you're elevating your backup behind Justin Haran. He's now the third guy and so on and so forth. Trent Brown's health and his ability to stay on the field. And now, especially that he's flipping over to left tackle again, most likely 
a hugely important piece of this offense this year. And the numbers bear out when you look at the numbers uh, last year, just such a more efficient offense last year when they had Trent Brown on the field versus the games that he missed early on in the season. So uh, I have Trent Brown at three. I, I would assume if you did this list fully, Alex, you'd have Trent Brown somewhere on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of course I, I'd have him on there, but again, I just think to, you know, the uh, what's the not the sum is the parts of the whole something like that I, I think david andrews is the glue that holds the offensive line together so that's why i have him at number one again if it's impactful players if it's if it's you know best players if we're doing madden ratings i would probably have trent brown higher but it, yeah again we're going that term important i'm basing it off that i'm putting david andrew i'm putting david andrews ahead of him but those are those are the top yeah. two linemen and, and then I, I think those are the only two that are really on the list you could maybe say michael and wenu but yeah those uh, are the only two i had on the list uh, my yeah. number two is the same as you matthew judon when that defense was rolling last year matthew judon was a huge part of it not just on the field and his production on the field which was great but his he was a leader of that defense when things were going right and do you remember all of the cutaways after games like him dancing off the field all that I know that that stuff gets overrated sometimes or gets overplayed I guess by social media and things like that but I do think that winning is contagious and I think that he's one of those guys that has a lot of bravado he's got a lot of pull in that locker room and I just think he on top of the fact that he's a good pass rusher they need to figure out I think with Judon when teams sort of like they did in the second half of last year, he cooled off. Maybe his motor wasn't running as hot. Maybe he ran out of steam. I know he went through COVID, so maybe that was somewhat of a factor. But I think they need to hopefully in year two allow him to move around a little bit more than he did last year. I think last year he was pretty much over the left tackle uh, for over 70 percent of the snaps that he played because I think he was learning the defense, right? It, it was year right. one. He didn't necessarily have the entire package yet of the defense installed. Now that he does have a year under his belt, you would like to think that maybe he can move inside some to rush like over the guard, like they used to do with Dante Hightower, flip sides back and forth when they need him to, and basically hide him at times and I don't mean hide him like you don't want him on the field so you're hiding him I mean hide him from their best blocker right because a lot of the times the left tackle or the right tackle are premium blockers especially pass blocking on the opponent so maybe you go in and you attack a guard with Matthew Judon this year who's weaker in pass right. protection or if the right tackle is worse than the left tackle then you have him rush over the right tackle Th those are the types of things I think they'll be able to do a little bit more in year two with Matthew Judon the other thing I would add to that I think last year Obviously, they had him and they had Baltimore next to him, right? But they they didn't get much off the other edge. Yeah. And some of that was stylistic. That guy was kind of a step back, edge setter, pass defender, all of that. But even when they tried to rush from that edge, nobody really made an impact in that spot. And I think this year, you know, the way that they're, they're set up defensively, and I think you look at a growth from a guy maybe like Ronnie Perkins or Josh Uche, uh, they're – a little better set up and this is going to be something to watch i think that's big in the preseason how, how well it works can they get pressure from that other side because teams were just setting all their protection to the left right you leave the block the yeah. back in a block he's going to be on the left he's going to help take care of judon and barmore they weren't really worried about the strong side and if patriots can make teams worry about the strong side at least somewhat it's going to open things up more for judon on the weak side yeah all right so we both had the same number one, right? Mac Mac Jones, number one. Really, yeah, the list starts yeah, at he's number the quarterback. two. 
It's like when you do it when there's a draft when there's like an Andrew Luck or a Trevor Lawrence, right? It's the draft starts at at the number two pick. In this list, the the draft starts at the number two pick because Max number one pick. I want to take a second to shout out our partners at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Before we move on to people's questions, I want to ask you one thing about Mac. A lot of social media posts, this is, it's this time of year, right? It's, it's workout season. It's, it's pictures with your shirt off season. There was that picture that floated around uh, social media before the 4th of Mac Jones flexing. I think his girlfriend is the one, uh, Sophia Scott's the one that posted the picture. And he, he does. It looks like he's Mac Jack, right? Uh, Jacked Mac. There we go. Uh, he, he looks huge. He looks like he's in great shape. We know he's been working with Tom House. We know he's been throwing with some of the Patriots receivers all offseason long. What do you make of this, though? Is this Because I've been sucked into this in the past, and I'm kind of all out on, on July workout photos. Like, let, let's see what happens in October, November, December. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to fault him for any of it. it. It shows he's doing the right things. It shows that he had a good first yeah. year and it didn't go to his head, and he's still putting the work in. You know, what does it mean from a football standpoint? I don't know. I have to see him on the field, but – it's nothing bad. It's not, you know, it's not, I don't know how good it is. We won't know how good it is until we see him, but it's certainly nothing bad. That's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's definitely nothing bad. You definitely hear a lot of he's in the best shape of his life and all those types of things for not just Mac, like for all quarterbacks. I think Zach Wilson's the same thing. He's claiming he's in the best shape of his life also in, in New York. So that, that's the time of year that we're in. And it's great to see that he's doing the right things. I, I agree with you there. All right. If you have questions, now's the Q&A portion of the show. Go ahead and drop the questions in the chat. If you just search Jacked Mac Jones or Mac Jones on Twitter, I'm sure you'll see the picture of him uh, flexing uh, in the picture that he posted on Instagram. So go ahead and, and do that, and uh, you'll find Jacked Mac. Okay, question. leave this window open so you're still watching the show. Yeah, right. Uh, questions here. We'll start at the top. If you have questions... Uh, now's the time. Drop them in the chat, and we'll get to as many as possible. I want to start here with a question from Tanner by Taekwon Thornton and his production as a rookie. Uh, here saying, would you be disappointed with 300 to 400 yards as a rookie for Taekwon Thornton? Obviously, if that happens, then maybe we start hearing some of the another Patriots wide receiver bust. I actually think 300 or 400 yards – given the amount of receivers, including the tight ends that are going to see targets this year would be the opposite of a bus. Like that means that I think he's carved out a role for himself of some sort as a rookie. So I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think also he's a project player. He's an upside player. He's not a guy you, you expect to break out in year one. He's a guy you're expecting to break out in year two or year three. On top of that, the depth, like you said, I think that, you know, I, in my mind, I was kind of four to 500 for him. 
Um, the, the thing about the Nikhil comp, and I know people aren't going to listen to this. They just want to be mad, and that's fine. But the thing about the Nikhil comp, Nikhil was drafted to be a number one. Nikhil was drafted to replace Rob Gronkowski's production. He was drafted to come in and immediately be a big part of the offense. That's not why Tyquan Thornton's here. They drafted him to be a big part of the offense, but a year or two down the road when Nelson Aguilar is no longer under contract, when Jacoby Myers is no longer under contract, guys like that, right? Maybe when Kendrick Bourne's no, no longer under contract, although they should extend him and lock him up. It's another conversation. I, I think three to 400 is about right. Honestly, I think it would be lower, but he's such a deep ball threat. I think his yards per catch is going to be excellent. Yeah, I don't think his receptions are going to be what you normally see from a 300 to 400 yard guy. I just think they're going to give him some deep shots and he'll rack up yards like that. Like, so this number, for instance, you give him like an, if he has like an 85 yard touchdown catch, he's basically a quarter of the way to this, right? Maybe right. my math yeah. sucks. Yeah. Um, like I, it could be something like that. So. Yeah. I just feel like if he's seeing enough targets to tally 300 plus yards as a rookie, he's got a role. It, it might not be the most uh, number one receiver. It might not be a high volume role, but he's out on the field enough to have those targets and to lend to those catches field right. stretching. Uh, maybe like you said, he hits on a couple deep balls. Maybe he's one of those guys that has uh, 25 catches, but his yards per catch is 18, right? Because he's catching all deep balls down the field uh, when he's open. I, I, I would, that would look like a really good season for Taekwon Thor. I would say too, like, so this says yards, you know, they're probably going to hand him the ball too a little bit and yeah. do some stuff like that. So, you know, if we're talking all-purpose yards, I think that's very realistic. By the way, if you want to call 300 to 400 yards, Nikhil Harry 2.0, yeah. Nikhil Harry had 100 yards as a rookie. He has yeah. 600 yeah. for his career in three yeah. years. Nikhil Harry's never even – he doesn't even average 300 yards a season. So this season would be much better than anything Nikhil Harry's ever done. Yeah, okay. So uh, we just talked about Judon. He's our second most important Patriot for both of us on our list for this season. This is an interesting question, kind of a cap minutia question. So a lot of people, myself included, have theorized the Patriots might use uh, the cap to the base salary to signing bonus conversion trick to free up some cap space using Matthew Judon's contract. The side effect of doing that is you increase future cap hits, right? You kick the can down the road and you increase increase his future hits. With a player like Matthew Judon, who's already making $18 million a year, increasing those future hits is going to make those cap hits pretty difficult for a release or a trade. Let's say if he drops off a cliff and they want to get out of that contract, this makes it harder. So do you think that that could potentially be their thinking if they don't go that route and they don't use Judon's contract is they don't necessarily want to marry Matthew Judon, right? Because that's what you would be doing if you use this trick with the cap. Yeah, I, I, I maybe. I don't know. I, I don't talk about the cap. Every time I do, Pat's cap yells at me because I get it wrong. So maybe. <laughs> well, I just put I don't it know. out for you. It's, it's basically, the question is, is do you think that he will be worth it to raise his cap hits and let's say, two years, right? Like, will he still be a good? Yeah, I think it would. Cause the cap's just going to shoot up with the new TV deal. Right. But it's also like, I think there's moves you can make, even if you're hesitant to make this move, there's moves you can make before this to make more sense. Extending Jake Bailey, you open yeah. up $4 million like that. Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess if you want to go down that road, but I, I, if they need it, there's other ways they can open cap too that make more sense. It's, it's not, if they don't want to restructure Judon, like, it just, regardless of what they think about Judon, it makes more sense to extend Jake Bailey than it does to rework Judon's contract. So that's yeah. where I'm at. 
And they still yeah. haven't done that. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Let's go to Jalen Mills, who's your number three guy on this list. What is preventing Jalen Mills from being a true number one corner? And, and P asks here, is it his lack of speed as one thing that you could point to that a lot of teams pointed to when he was coming out? I think he was like a four six four six five type of guy in the 40. A lot of people at that point are, well, he's a safety, right? Like automatically when you run a four six or over, at the combine, you you usually get pigeonholed into safety territory. When you watch his game, though, it, do you see potential for him to be better uh, than what he has been already in his career and, and elevate his game to number one quarter status? And if not, why? So, I mean, this goes back to my comparison when we talk, you know, to starting pitchers, right? There's number one starters and there's aces. Every yeah. team is a number one. Not every team is an ace. Some teams have more than one ace. I, I don't know that Mills is an ace. You mentioned the speed. Um I think his his instincts sometimes he he trusts himself a little too much. Yeah. And that, you know, I think he can be a number one at times. This to me is my biggest issue with this game. It's consistency. I think he shows flashes of being a number one corner, but he doesn't, he, he's not constantly that guy because again, I think he can be over aggressive at times and it costs him. Sometimes it works in his favor, sometimes it doesn't. Guys who are really elite can play that aggressive all the time, and they're just their instincts are at such a high level that they can get away with it. I haven't seen Mills get there quite yet. Like in Philly, he was very up and down, very up and down. He was a little more level last year, which I think is encouraging. But that's that to me is the next step for Jalen Mills. I think there's a there's a lot about his game to like. But can he bring that for 90 percent of snaps for 17 weeks? That's been his biggest issue as long as he's been in the league is on a week-to-week basis, you don't know which Jalen Mills you're going to get. That's something the Patriots are very good at coaching up is consistency and working with players on. And again, it showed last year. So can he be a number one? Yeah, I think so, because I've seen him play like a number one. It's just a matter of him doing it on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, I think last year he got to the point where he can be a guy that sees 90 targets in the season and holds up, right? He's not going to be a complete anchor to your defense as a regular full-time player on the outside which with Philadelphia was not the case because they moved him to safety his last year with the Eagles because he couldn't be that kind of player because he was getting exposed as a high volume guy on the outside. I don't necessarily think that he has the hit movement or just the fluidity that you would like to see for a true number one corner to lock on to receivers throughout the route, right? I I think that there's some flashes, especially in zone coverage uh, where he has some nice skill, a nice element to his game. But in terms of really being able to stick with receivers throughout the route consistently, especially good receivers like number one corners go up against, I'm not sure if he has those types of elite movement skills. So I guess that might relate back to speed, but it's not, it's more than just speed. It's also foot quickness, hip fluidity, you know, just what you look at it when you watch a Stefan Gilmore, for example, and the way that he moves and the way that he can right. mirror guys. I don't think Jalen Mills is necessarily in that category, but I love his football IQ. And I do think he has pretty good instincts in terms of overall coverage spacing. And especially in zone, he handles his responsibilities very well when the Patriots play zone coverage, man to man. If you're going to put him against the right level of competition, he can definitely hold up. When you put him against CD Lamb and man coverage on an island, we see what happens, right? I, that, that's right. sort of where you're at with Jalen Mills right now, which is not, it's fine. It's just the Patriots are in a spot where they need him to be maybe a little bit better than that. And I don't necessarily think he can't be 
if they coach around it and maybe play a little bit more zone this year or protect him a little bit more over the top if he is going up against a C.D. Lamb-level talent, if he is going up against a Tyree Kill or a Diggs or somebody of that ilk, then you might need to put a little bit more help over there uh, than you would with a true number one guy. Uh, But I think that he can be – he he can be that 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 player that takes number one with safety help, right? I, I think he can survive right. there. He's just not a box in one corner, right? He's not like, oh, I got this guy and everybody else worries about the other 10 guys on the field. I, I don't think we're there yet with Jalen Mills. So talking preseason now, uh, since that's what's the most recent thing is com- that's coming up or the or the most uh, the closest thing that's coming up, do you – so the Rams are one of those teams that rests everybody, right? Sean McVay rests everybody throughout the preseason. I don't think Aaron Donald played a preseason snap last year. I don't think Cooper Cup did either. Uh, they fully shut guys down. The Patriots are the opposite. They they play guys throughout the preseason to get them ready and tuned up for the season. I do find it interesting that they have those back-to-back weeks of joint practices in there. They have Carolina joint practices in Foxborough, and then they have uh, the joint practices in Vegas with the Raiders. So they have some opportunities there to get some real live reps for guys in joint practice settings. But if you're running the Patriots, Alex, do you sit guys or do you play them in the preseason? I mean, I think it's on a case-by-case basis, right? I, I mean, I look at some of the names here. Devin McCourty's fine. Devin McCourty doesn't need to play. Christian Barmore's a guy. I want him getting all the reps he can get. He's still young. I throw him out there. Uh, Judon, I, you know, after the end of last year, I think he has to play a little bit. I think you got to see where he's at. Maybe you sit him for the third game. Maybe you, you only play him in the first game, something like that. This is a tough one to answer right now, this this early on. And again, I, I really think, excuse me, I really think it's a player-to-player basis. Yeah, I think that's fair. Guy like Devin McCourty, I don't need to see. Like, Devin, yeah, Devin, Devin McCourty doesn't need to play. I'll, I'll see you week one, right? I think right. Devin McCourty is, is one of those guys that I'm perfectly comfortable with sitting. I think there's some other guys that maybe fall in that category. Like we were just talking about David Andrews, right? I, I think that he's somebody that... I'm perfectly fine with seeing in week one. I understand they might want to play him for continuity purposes and to get that unit to gel a little bit more. But for the most part, I I don't really need to see much of David Andrews. And I would say I don't really need to see much of Trent Brown either. Like, I think those two guys, especially with Trent's injury history, the the last thing that they need is Trent Brown getting hurt in the preseason. Like, that would be a a disaster. So I'm okay with some of those veterans sitting, but I'm with you. Guys like Barmore, uh, Judon, I think after the way he finished last season, um, I think that those guys playing some series is, is a good idea. I don't think that they necessarily need to play three quarters, but playing maybe a couple of series into the second quarter, first half of a game or something like that, I'm comfortable with. But some of those vets, McCordy, Andrews, uh, I, whether what he's healthy or not, James White, I don't think needs to play a snap in the preseason if he's out there. Those are the types of guys that I'm, I, I think are easy decisions to sit. But see, a guy like James might, might want to play. He hasn't yeah. seen contact in a year. He may just want to get a couple of drives just to kind of get his rhythm back. So that's yeah. where, you know, I, I, I think some of it's on the players too. I think there are certain guys, again, like a James White, who's done this long enough that if he says, hey, I need, I need two or three series to get back in a rhythm, you give him two or three series to get back in a rhythm. Like he knows yeah. what he needs. So that's the other part of this equation. Okay, so I love this question. I think this is a great July 5th question. We're in the middle of the offseason. We need something to talk about. This is a great qualifier for that. Out of the second-year QBs, which one would you rather have for the next 
10 years. We're not talking about next year. We're not talking about even 2023, but in 2020, uh, 2032, yeah. when we look back on this quarterback class, who's going to be the best of the lot? Well, so that's two questions. Is this independent of the team they're on? Or is this who's going to have the next best 10 years? So the way that I look at it, fair enough. The way that I look at it is independent of the team or assuming they're all on the Patriots, right? Like if if, if we were redrafting this, how would we rank the quarterbacks knowing what we know? Exactly. I I still take Trevor Lawrence one. I think he's a special talent and hopefully Jacksonville hasn't ruined him beyond repair. Uh, But I, but I still think he's a tremendous talent out of Mac two, out of Justin uh, Fields three. Davis Mills fourth, Trey Lance fifth. Oh my goodness, you're such a hater. I love it. I, I, he can't go to the second read. He can't. Remember yeah. that pick he threw to Devin McCourty last year? He's looking on the right yeah. side. Get open. Get open. It's like triple coverage. Get open. Get open. Get open. Get open. He feels the clock. Get open. He's standing there for like three, four seconds. Nope. Well, I wonder what's going on over here. Boom. Right to yeah. Devin McCourty. Yeah. Unbelievable. And and look, I'll say like, all right. I think he's like a fine prospect, but yeah. he went second overall. He went ahead of Justin Fields. He went ahead of Mac Jones. Yeah. I, it, and there was all this height, like people were pushing him up against Lawrence. And I'm talking about Zach Wilson. If I realized I never actually said his name. Yeah. I, I BYU's quarterback last year in this upcoming season, is a guy named Jaron Hall. And I think Jared, like I watched and Jaron Hall right now is a projected second third round pick he might sneak into the back end of the first he's a really good year this year i watched jaron hall and i again i think jaron hall's a fine prospect jaron hall though doesn't i don't see anything that zach wilson did that jaron hall doesn't do i actually think they're very similar and i've yet to get a a real answer to the question what is the difference between zach wilson and jaron hall because i think they're comparable players but we're not jaron hall isn't in the discussion for the first overall pick right now. Not I know yet. it's a great quarterback class. Zach Wilson but, wasn't in the conversation this time before his last season at BYU, just, to be fair. That's fair, but I'm I'm very interested to see kind of what the narrative is around Jaron Hall because yeah. I I don't see much of a difference. I really don't. Zach Wilson's maybe a little more elusive, but yeah. is that, you know, worth 60 picks in the draft? I don't know. So I don't think so. So yeah, I just I still just don't see it. I don't see it. I it's 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 he made. I'm the, with the, you on Zach. Well, I've been we've been on the same page right. with this he one. He made the a, throw. He made the pro day throw. He looks great in shorts. Yeah. He's shown me nothing beyond that. Yeah, we disagreed on a on a quite a few fronts with this quarterback class, the 2021 yeah. quarterback class. The one thing that we were consistently both on the same page on was the Zach Wilson thing, which was just not seeing it, thinking he's a little bit overhyped. I even went as far, I, I believe, before the draft saying that I didn't really see a big difference between Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold. I kind of just thought the Jets were starting the clock again on Sam Darnold 2.0, which I can understand from a contractual standpoint, maybe. But beyond that, from a skill standpoint, I really didn't see a big difference with Zach Wilson. I agree that Trevor Lawrence has to still be the number one pick. I think if you gave him to the Patriots, he'd be special. I, I think he's got that kind of talent. and well, that nature versus nurture. Right. I just the Jaguars are just a, a, a dumpster fire, especially his rookie season with Urban and all of the things right. that happened with that organization. Just an absolute mess. So I still go Trevor Lawrence number one. 
I would also go Mac Jones number two. I think Justin Fields still has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones does with potential, but I think the floor is so high with Mac that you know for the next 10 years you're going to have good to great quarterback play at that position for a decade if he stays healthy, and this is true with everybody right. staying healthy. So for that reason, I still – I go with the consistency of Mac over the variance of Justin Fields. I think other teams and other talent evaluators in the league might look at that differently because they say, like, just go for the home run, right? Go for if you're going to swing, go for the for the seats and go with the guy like Justin Fields. I tend to lean towards Mac for that reason at this point, which is probably the case coming into the draft that we knew as well. I just don't know if we knew if Matt, how high max floor truly was right. Like right. I think we knew that he was going to have a high floor, but was it going to be pro bowl high floor or was it going to be middling quarterback high floor? Now that we know it's probably going to be pro bowl caliber floor, then we know that we can put him ahead of Justin right. Fields. I still put Justin Fields number three. I, I still am a big fields believer. I wanted him for the Patriots. He almost fell to them. It would have been really interesting to see, if Fields and Mac were still on the board at 15, I, I tend to think the Patriots still go Mac because he's their type of guy and Fields isn't, but it would have been interesting to see what decision they would have made there. I still go Justin Fields three after Mac. Can we, can I say like not applicable for Trey Lance? Cause I, I have no idea what Trey Lance is. Like I love Trey well, Lance coming out of college. That's another nature versus nurture thing. It really feels like no San Francisco's kind of ruined him. Right. Maybe, I mean, or maybe he's where, Patrick Mahomes. Like, who knows, right? Like, but no, where can, I mean, where can there. he be at mentally right now? Like, with Mahomes, it was clear. Was you're going to sit behind Alex Smith for a year, and he yeah. sat. You're going to move on. Lance has been in and out, and then Jimmy Garoppolo was going to get traded, and then he wasn't going to get traded. Like, that's – we we talked about in the spring how much it meant that Mac was the ingrained starter this year, right? And, right. and, and what a benefit was that to him. Trey Lance isn't the starter of the backup. We don't know. Yeah, it's We don't know. So yeah. that can't be easy for him. And in the comments, it's a good point. If he can't beat out Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not exactly a great sign. So I don't think that it's that he can't beat out Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that Kyle Shanahan might look for things. Okay, that's fair. In his quarterbacks. I think well, the no, no, yeah, yeah, you're number. being too nice there. You're being too nice there. I think what you're trying to say is Kyle Shanahan might not be a good coach. No, that's not what I'm saying. Evan, Evan, that's Evan. Not what I'm, let me you're literally, you're explaining away him not going with the better quarterback. I'm explaining the coach that, that goes with the worst quarterback is not a good coach. It's I'm the most explaining that, on the field. That, that certain coaches have parameters or types of quarterbacks that they want to roll with. Okay. And this, I, I still go back to the point with the Niners that I, I fully think that Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. I fully believe that. And I think that the front office wanted the talent, right? They wanted the next Patrick Mahomes, the next Josh Allen, and they took Trey Lance in that spot instead because they, it's two different conversations, right? The coaches, especially a guy like Kyle Shanahan, and I think this is similar with the Patriots, and I'm going to use a Madden analogy for you even, Alex. They just want the guy that's going to hit the right button on the controller, right? Like right. when they go through the progression and they see the field, they just want the guy to hit X when X is open and to hit Y when Y is open and just do it that way. And Jimmy Garoppolo, for all of his shortcomings, for all of his durability concerns, when he plays, the Niners' offense is efficient. They, it runs the right way, and he presses the right buttons. Evaluators look for ceiling, and they look for guys that are going to elevate the scheme beyond X, Y, Z. 
I think Kyle Shanahan falls into the category, and I think Bill falls into this category, and I think Josh McDaniels falls into this category, that they just want the guy to press the right buttons on the controller, and they'll take care of the rest. The scheme is going to elevate the quarterback instead of the other way around. So I think Kyle is hung up on Jimmy G because he knows what they can be with Jimmy G, and I don't know if he wants to coach up Trey Lance to fit his offense, and I don't think he's going to change the scheme to fit Trey Lance. So, okay, so the conversation we were having, though, I said, if he can't beat out Jimmy Garoppolo, and you said, what if, you you basically said, well, what if he has, but Shanahan isn't going with him? If he's proven to be better than Garoppolo and Shanahan's still going with Garoppolo. He might be more talented than Garoppolo, but he might not be better than Garoppolo and Shanahan's system. Niche reference, uh, season three of Blue Mountain State, Marcus Gilday. They get this this offense coordinator, Marcus Gilday. And he go he basically the whole season is him basically saying he can put any player he wants into his off. Like he doesn't care about the quarterback. He yeah. can put any player he wants I into his system that, that way a little bit. Honestly. No, no, I, I don't think, think so. Do. I not, don't think- not with Brady. I'm not, this is not like a knock on Brady, but I do think that some of those whispers that came out, like they feel like they could win with a top 15 quarterback. I I believe that. Then, then they why didn't they wait and take Davis Mills? Because I think the difference between that Mac and Davis Mills is enough. I you had Davis Mills ahead of Zach Wilson. I wouldn't have Davis Mills ahead of Zach Wilson. Based on what we saw last year, I would. And I wasn't uh, a big Davis Mills guy. I had Trask. I had Trask as my sixth yeah. quarterback on the board. I think I did year. too. I had Davis Mills right after Trask. I like Davis Mills's peaks, but I know that Davis Mills's lows, his highs are high and his lows are extremely low. And I don't know if even in the uh, NFL if he's ever going to find that consistent play uh, through and through. So I'm not buying the. I think the Davis Mills hype is way overblown. I think we're getting a little bit out of control uh, with some of the things I see about some of the takes I see out there about Davis Mills. He put together good tape at Stanford at times. Like this is Davis Mills, right? Like he can be a good quarterback, but then you watch it when it falls off the wagon, right? Watch when a wheel falls off and see what happens because he becomes a completely different guy. And that's exactly what he was like at Stanford. At times he looked like he was a Heisman Trophy candidate. And then at other times he looked like he was a seventh round and, you know, priority free agent type of pick. So I'm not sold on Davis Mills. I still have Wilson ahead of Mills, but we, our top three is the same, right? Trevor, right. Mac, Justin Fields. Like, I think that that's become the consensus and we'll see with Trey Lance. I'm not Which, ready to write off Trey Lance. We'll see. Honestly, if you want to, if you want to flip Mac and Fields, you can, but that's what it should have been last year. It should have been Trevor Lawrence, number one. Yeah. And then in some order, Mac Jones and Justin Fields, two and three. Yeah, the Jets were always taking Zach Wilson, but I do think that Mac could have gone in the Trey Lance spot if Kyle Shanahan had got in his way. I, yeah. I really do. So that that's a great way of looking at it, though, because I, I do think that there's two different conversations. Who would who was the best quarterback on tape last year? It's Mac Jones, right? Out of this rookie right. class, it was Mac Jones. Who's the best quarterback for the 2022 season? It might still be Mac Jones, but 10 years from now, I think we might have a different conversation just, looking back on it. If you're starting a team right now and you have to pick one, who are you picking to build around? Like that's how I look at it. Yeah. And it's still Lawrence, because I still think yeah. he's a generational talent. Urban Meyer's just a generationally bad coach. He's a generational idiot, is what he is. Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's move on to some wide receiver questions that people have. We've talked a lot about Trey Nixon during minicamp. We haven't really talked about him much recently just because we talked about him so much during minicamp. Well, where's your your meter on Trey Nixon making this team right now? Is is it at all the way yes or all the way no? Where, Where are you at? So when I did my roster projection, I had him as the 54th player. So that's the first guy to like the 
you know, if you would expand the roster by one guy, I would put Trey Nixon on. To me, Trey Nixon making the team, it, there's two, it comes down to two questions. First question, are they going to keep six wide receivers, right? There's five guys outside of something, you know, if, if Thornton totally pops off and they trade Aguilar, it changes the picture. But outside of that, yeah, it's it's Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, Parker, Thornton. They're keeping those five. And Matthew Slater, we're not counting him in this. He's his own thing. Yeah. He's special teams, right? So are they going to keep a sixth wide receiver? That comes down to, you know, what the running back position looks like. Is, does a third tight end emerge as a guy that's worth keeping yeah. right now? I don't think there is. How many offensive linemen are they going to keep? How many corners? Like that question goes to the whole roster. The second question, if they are going to keep six receivers, it comes down to what do they want? What do they want from that roster spot? If they want speed and they want depth in the slot, Trey Nixon's the guy. But as much as he gives you that, I think a guy like Lil Jordan Humphrey gives you size, right? Yeah. And a physical presence. And it's not necessarily one's better than the other. It's simply how do you want to round out your roster? What skill set do you right. want? There's a good chance, sixth wide receiver, they just want a guy who's going to play special teams. Because that guy's not going to get a ton of snaps on offense. If that's the case, you want Christian Wilkerson. He's a really good special teams player. He's yeah. not a horrible receiver. If his hands were better, I, I think he'd be on the team. He needs to work on catching the ball a little bit. But, like, you go that way, right? You, if they want that. Um, if they want, you know, more versatility. And then the, 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 I guess you could put a third question in this. Is Ty Montgomery a running back or a wide receiver? Right. Because there's value to keeping him on the roster. He can yeah. play in the slot. He can be your pass catcher running back. He can play special teams. If they view him as a running back, that probably helps Trey Nixon's case. If they yeah. view him as a wide receiver, well, now Trey Nixon, I think there's a good chance Montgomery makes it. Now Trey Nixon becomes your seventh wide receiver. And that now you're really pushing it. So we talk about the at-large spots, right, on the roster. And this is something I've I've discussed. It's basically, you know, there's 53 roster spots to be won, but at least th at least two have to be won by quarterbacks, right? Your your backup quarterback may not be a top 53 player on your roster, but you got to keep a backup quarterback. So now yeah. the 53rd best player by true talent falls off, right? Maybe you have, you know, I based on positional minimums, and not a lot of teams do this, but you have to keep at least four wide receivers just to get through the season. You need four wide receivers on your roster. Well, maybe you're like the Patriots and you have five wide receivers that are roster locks. That takes away a spot. That takes away an at-large spot. So once you get to your positional minimums and add in the roster locks, how many spots are there really to be won? And I've calculated this for this team this year, and I think it's between five and seven. So the question is, outside of the positional minimums and roster locks, can Trey Nixon be a top five to seven player? He's right there on that border. So I remember when they drafted him having this conversation probably right on this channel about his lack of special teams uh, exposure, right? He doesn't return. Right. He doesn't play uh, in the kicking game, covering kicks in mini camp. They had him working on punt returns. I, I do think he has some of that slitheriness and some of that explosiveness to return punts. If he can learn the, learn it, learn the, the technique and, and learn this position. So maybe he has some potential there. Obviously, he's got a good guy in Troy Brown to teach him, right? So, so maybe they can untap that return ability that he wasn't used at at UCF. The thing is with Nixon that I see is his way onto the roster is if he plays so well throughout camp and preseason that they don't want to risk putting him on waivers. And maybe they cut Brian Hoyer or they cut Nick Folk again and they do, they do these wonky things with the veterans, right? right. Where they say – 
Justin Bethel, we're going to release you, but you're actually going to be on the game day roster. Don't worry about it. We just need a roster spot for you, right? So they, they go that route with it. And maybe Trey Nixon does play himself into a spot where it's worth cutting Brian Hoyer to free up a roster spot for Trey Nixon and then sign Brian Hoyer off the practice squad for a couple of weeks until somebody gets hurt to be the backup quarterback to Mac Jones. I, I think that there's a chance that Trey Nixon's that good. I, I do. I don't want to go Maurice Harris, right? I don't want to overrate him right. from minicamp practices without pads. But I, from what we saw in minicamp, from what we saw on in his college tape as well, I, I liked the skill and the talent that he showed in college too. I thought it was a nice find in the seventh round. So I, I like what I'm seeing, and I think it's worth keeping him around. They're going to have to get creative with it, though, as you just laid out with the at-large spots. They're going right. to have to get a little creative with how they find a, a way for him onto the roster. But to me, I, I do think it's going to be worth it to maybe cut Brian Hoyer or to cut one of the special teams guys that doesn't have a lot of guaranteed money. I, I don't know what Bethel's contract situation is. I just threw that out there. You know, one of these guys that isn't necessarily going to be snatched up by another team or doesn't have to go through waivers because he's a veteran. Right. Those are the positions that you really look at. Except they haven't been afraid to lose those guys in the past, right? Austin no. Carr, Braxton Berrios. So the one thing I'll say about special teams, assuming Marcus Jones is healthy, he's your returner. Yeah. You're not going to draft Marcus Jones and not have him return punts. Right. So to me, the the thing to watch with Trey Nixon, is he covering kicks? Yeah. Like if he's out there in the preseason and he is covering kicks, he has a really good shot to make the roster. Because again, I just talked about it, right? What do they want? Do they want size? Do they want speed? Do they want special teams ability? Well, right now, Christian Wilkerson's a special teams guy. But if Trey Nixon can kind of show he can cover kicks, well, that puts Christian Wilkerson out of the conversation. And now it's, do they want the speed of Trey Nixon or do they want the size of little Jordan Humphrey? And I think, unless they really want that size and that, you know, maybe they see that as a way of keeping a third tight end and keeping Humphrey, unless they really, really want that, which I don't think they will because it's not something they've ever prioritized. Nixon suddenly has a really good shot. So let's revisit this. We're going to revisit this plenty, I'm sure, throughout training camp, pretty much every day in training camp. But I think the real time to revisit it is after that Carolina preseason game, after the joint practices with the Panthers, because no offense to the Patriots secondary, we're still not 100% sold on this cornerback group. So let's see him go up against some other corners from other teams in pads, right, and see what he can do then against some of those guys uh, Carolina's got some good corners uh, the Raiders have some good corners I mean nobody's like Deion Sanders in either one of those teams but they, they have some some guys that can play so let's see what happens then but I'm on the train Nixon bandwagon I just have learned from my mistakes uh, uh, a la Maurice Harris to not overrate minicamp practices just yet but I think we're both would like to see them find a way to keep Trey Nixon on the team if they can it's just a matter of not if they can it's, it's a tough one Right. A few years ago, which 2019 was Gunner's rookie year, didn't he get told that he was cut and then they called him back later and said we actually found a way to keep him? Yeah. 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 So he's right there with Gunner, right? The 54th guy, 53rd guy, something like that. It's going to be tight. All right. One more wide receiver question here. A lot of questions today, Alex, in the chat about Devontae Parker. I think people are excited about Devontae Parker, a true a bona fide outside receiver that's got Pro Bowl caliber, Pro Bowl level tape, quite frankly. You know, 2019 was a Pro Bowl season for him. It's been a little while since they had a guy with a proven track record to play the outside like Devontae Parker has. What are your expectations 
for Parker, if you want to put that into stats, if you want to just talk about it from a, a big picture standpoint, where are you at with Devontae Parker? I think he can be a thousand yard guy if he plays 17 games. Now that's a big if. The the one thing I'll say about Parker's injury concerns that stands out, he's only played one full season in I think five seasons in the league, right? But he's never played less than 10 games. Right? Remember, that was the thing with Gronk. It felt like he was gonna play 16 games or like two. There yeah. was no in between. Parker's right. going to be out there more often than not. It's just, he's not, it, it doesn't, he, there's no, no lock. He's going to be out there the entire time. So to me, I, you know, I think for him, and we talked about this a little bit last week when we did the, the Dion branch recap, right? They've just got to be, they, they need their passing game has to have more options in the red zone. It can't just be Hunter Henry. That's yeah. from looking for Devonte Parker to make a difference. I wouldn't be surprised if his yardage number. And I know I just said, I think he can be a thousand yard guy, but like, if he's lower on yards, I get it, right? They have guys yeah. that they like to eat up the middle of the field with, whether it's Jacoby Myers, whether it's whoever the third down back is. We think if they're going to be Shanahan on offense, Johnny Smith could be some of that. Yeah. So catches yards. I'm looking at Devontae Parker's touchdown number. Yeah. That's where, where I think he can really make the most difference from last year to this year. Overall, he's a good addition. He'll help them everywhere. But I think where he can – where you'll see him impacting them the most, where it will look the most different from how it did last year, is in the red zone. Yeah, it's a great point because that's exactly where they were hoping, even when it was clear that Nikhil was not going to be like a bona fide stud, you know, he wasn't going to be an all pro type receiver. I think they were hoping that he was going to evolve to at least being somewhat of a red zone threat that they could use down by the goal line on fades, back shoulders, box out type of plays like they used Hunter Henry a lot of the time last year. So if they can get a second guy, like you said, they have the running game down there, which is usually pretty good. They have Hunter Henry to go to down there. If they can have a third option in Devontae Parker, that would be really big for their offense. I, I don't think that he's going to be a big yardage guy. I think if he has 500, 600 yards this year, that's a really – it's a good number for him, honestly. Because like you said, Myers, uh, the tight ends, Kendrick Bourne, like I think those guys are going to get – force-fed targets a lot of right. the time. I think Kendrick Bourne has a chance to be a 100-plus target guy this year. I, I don't know if the p targets are going to be there on high-point fades down the sideline where he's trying to out-jump a guy. I, how many times is Mac Jones really going to throw that ball to Devontae Parker? I, I don't think it's going to be 100-plus, uh, right? So I'm not sure the yards will be there. The red zone production, I think, will be there. The threat of him being on the field, I think, is important just as a guy that has some reputation and has, has some gravity towards him uh, in terms of how they structure your defense or your game plan against the Patriots. I think that will be key. And he mentioned his health. Uh, the one thing that he mentioned in minicamp that I thought was interesting was about how much he's running, like right. sprinting, long-distance type running, hill running with the Patriots versus what he did with the Miami Dolphins. So my guess is, is yes, this is – partially just the Patriots program and that's what they do. But I would also think that they probably got with Parker after the trade and got with his camp, his trainers and stuff like that and said, Hey, it's mostly been soft tissue stuff. It's mostly been hamstrings, things like that. Here's what we think that we could do to maybe help him stay on the field. Uh, do you guys agree with this method? And I think they have a plan in place, at least hopefully to, be proactive about the fact that he is prone to hamstring pulls and things of that nature, but rather than being reactive to it, which is obviously the way that you want to go in, in any sport. 
Well, the other thing, too, to remember, we did this last year with Hunter Henry, and then he played a full season. And you've got to remember, not every team handles their medical staff differently. And Hunter Henry, when he was asked at the end of the year about playing a full season, attributed a lot of that to how the Patriots training staff kind of shook up his regiment. Yeah. So just because a guy's injury prone in one place, especially like you said, when it's polls and things like that. Yeah. That might not be an issue elsewhere. You know, there might be another training staff that has a better read on that. So I said it last year with Hunter Henry. I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying it's a non-issue, the injuries, but I'm not as worried as I think some people are. I, I think it's a little over discussed. It's, it's easy to agree with you because of Hunter Henry. I think that's a great example, right? This is a guy that came in, maybe not as much soft tissue with Hunter Henry. I mean, I guess is an ACL considered soft tissue. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but Hunter Henry had a lot of freak injuries, right? Where like, right. He's in train, like mini camp torn ACLs and like things like that, that came out of nowhere. Whereas Parker is more of like a nagging injury type of guy versus like a serious season ending type of injury. So I'm pretty sure that he's, he's played in a good number of games each year. It's just sometimes he misses three games here, four games there, that sort of thing, because he's pulling hammies or quads or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I, I think the Patriots do do, uh, do a great job uh, of kind of managing some of these injury-prone type of players in the past. And Hunter Henry is a good one. And, and hopefully Devontae Parker is another guy that, that can uh, improve that on that this year. I know last year – it was great to hear from Hunter Henry about how great it was to play the whole year. Like that was so important to right. him. And uh, it was pretty awesome to, to hear that and see it happen. All right. Uh, that does it for our Q and a here today. Uh, if you didn't get your question answered, you can always come back to our future Q and A's and we'll answer as many more questions or your question. If we didn't get to it today as we can then. So may, don't worry, we'll do more of these in the future and you can ask your question then uh, before we wrap up, we do have to do the Boston sports minute. It's, it's now a tradition and uh, we haven't, we got, we can go in a couple of different directions with this one. We haven't talked about a couple of things here. Uh, the Red Sox are the active team. So I think we should start there, Alex. And uh, yeah, we're, we're I've been wavering. You know, I, I want to be on the Red Sox. I want to say it. I want to be all in with the Red Sox. But sometimes they look like a great team. Sometimes they look like a bad team. And you're telling me that that's just kind of who they are, which is not too exciting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I said this. I think that they are good enough to beat bad teams, but they're not bad enough to beat good teams. And again, the Cubs aren't a good team. They lost three or four. Big win last night against the Rays. I They still haven't shown me enough consistently against good teams to be excited. Right. And they're still, what, I think, like eight and 20 now against the AL East, which is not yeah. good. Just, that's just not going to do it. I am excited for Brian Bayo. There's nothing like the hype, you know, when you have like a top three yeah. starting pitching prospect and he makes right. his debut. Love that. So that's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, I still think, you know, they're going to compete for that last wild card spot, one and done. They're, they're going to need to make some major moves at the deadline if they want to compete. Yeah. I love the Brian Bell call up. I said this to you earlier when we were texting about the Red Sox. If their rotation looks like Sale, Avaldi, uh, one of the young guys, uh, Pivetta, and Waka, like that's a pretty good rotation for the second half of the season, right? I mean, I think that's pretty strong. I know I'm assuming that Chris Sale is Chris Sale, but even if he's 75% good as he was, he doesn't necessarily have to be peak Cy Young Chris Sale. Even if he's just a better than average pitcher, then that's, you know, he's still Chris Sale. I like that rotation. I'm excited for Bellow. I think this kid's going to be good. He throws what, like 98 on the fastball. So it's it's Bayo, Bayo, by the way. Okay, 
Bayo. A nasty fastball, 98. Was a change-up slider, I think, are like his three main pitches. His change-up's his best pitch. His change-up is a a plus-plus pitch. I think it's great. So when they when they do uh, baseball prospects, it's a 20 yeah. to 80 scale, right? You know, So everything's great. 20 is – nobody gets 20s. 20 is just the basement. 80 is like elite, elite stuff. Um, and and it's it's two ratings. So you get a current rating and a, a potential rating. So a guy might be like, you know, for instance, if you're doing a hitter, right, contact. Might be like a, you know, 40, 70. So he's a little yeah. below average right now, but like he's going to be an above average contact hitter. I think Bayo's, and it's by increments of five. I think Bayo's changeup grades out at 75 right now. Yeah. That's his gimme pitch. Uh, his fastball is going to sit in the mid to high 90s. I don't think he quite hits triple digits, but I, he's got the stuff. Long term, he probably needs to add a, a fourth pitch. And once everybody does get healthy, he'll probably be back in the bull. He'll probably be in the bullpen uh, towards the end of this year. But yeah, he, there's a lot to be excited about with him long term. Yeah, he, he looks like a stud. I'm excited to watch him pitch tomorrow night. Let's move on to the Celtics. We haven't talked much Celtics uh, since we haven't talked Celtics since they traded for Malcolm Brogdon and signed uh, Gallo. I think we can start with Brogdon. I think the biggest question with Brogdon is not necessarily is it a good move. I think we're all on board with the move. It was a great trade by Brad Stevens. It's more what's his role? Is he in the starting five? Is he a premium bench player? Is he a point guard? Is he what is he doing with Marcus Smart? You know, what was what's his outlook on the Celtics? I think we're all on board with the fact that they went and got him, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean the Celtics are a better team now than the last time we did a show, right? Yeah. And and that's, that's ultimately crazy. what it's about. Yeah. I still think they need like I think they have their their postseason rotation set. Right. Yeah. They can go like eight, nine deep in the postseason right now. I don't know if they would do that, but they can. The bigger the, the thing to me where they have to round it off is like they traded Tice, right? Yeah. They need another center who can eat minutes in the regular season so Robert Williams doesn't have to play as much, yeah. right? And maybe that's um I forget kid from Purdue. Thomas they, Robinson. No, no, no. He's uh you're thinking of Thomas Bryant. Who's a new DFA who they could sign for the minimum? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was a kid they signed a UDFA from Purdue, who's going to be on their summer league team. Who I really liked. I thought they might take in the draft. And his name is—I don't know if you can tell that I'm stalling here. And of course, yeah. he's at the bottom of the roster. Travion Williams, who's kind of like a Robert Williams light. He's not yeah. huge for a center. He's you know six ten, two fifty, but he's incredibly athletic. Um, so whether it's somebody like that, whether it's Thomas Bryant, whoever, uh, I'd like to see them add, I know people, people are going to roll their eyes on this, another regular season point guard, just to manage the minutes of some of those guys, Marcus Smart plays hurt a ton. He shouldn't have to do that. Give him the time to heal that he needs to heal. But those are regular season things, right now. Now you're talking about where, how can you be in the best position once you get to the playoffs? It's a luxury to kind of have those conversations but we can now based on the run the Celtics had last year. So that's really all I'm looking for them to add at this point. I think, I, I think Brad's done a really good job as for Kevin Durant. If he says, I only want to go to Boston, I think you make yeah. a move because you're going to get him at a discount. Phoenix can offer more. Golden State can offer more. The Lakers can offer more. Dallas can offer well, more. To be fair, the Celtics can offer more, but do the Celtics want to offer more? Right. Like the, right. The, like, Celtics, the, the talk it to me, where it loses me on all these talk radio shows 
is when the question is, would you trade Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant? Full stop, no. Like, no. No one's trading Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. And if you're Kevin Durant, you don't want to trade Jalen Brown off the team that you're going to. You want to play with Jalen Brown, right? Like, I just – the question is, is can the Celtics put together a package of their secondary guys, right? Smart, uh, Rob, Grant Williams, like that's the guys that they're picking from. Like, let's stop it with the Jays getting into the Jalen Brown, getting into the Kevin Durant trade. Like that, that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. And not, I don't think that's even on the table for Brad Stevens at this point. If just Which again, it, it, to me, it, it goes back to, if he's good, if Durant's going to force his way here, then that's how you can do it without giving up Brown. If he's not right. going to force his way here, just leave it alone. Yeah. I, I, and I'm hope gonna... he doesn't go to Miami. That's right. the, I, I think the Celtics are fine as long as he doesn't go to Miami. Yeah. I just, it drives me nuts that Jalen Brown's even in this conversation. Like that's just, why would you do that? He's, a- I think it's a testament to Jalen Brown. If I'm Jalen Brown, I'm taking that as a compliment. Absolutely. People think you're good enough to be swapped for Kevin Durant straight up. Like that's fair. That's I pretty just, cool. He's 25 years old. He's should have been an all-star last year. He's going to be an all-star next year. He's he has potential to be an all NBA player, not maybe first team all NBA, but like third team all NBA Jalen Brown is potentially there for him. And he's and he's eight years younger than Kevin Durant. So I, I just am not touching either one of the Jays if they can make it work because Durant really wants to come here and they can make it work. Like you said, with all the other guys that are on their roster, then fine. But right. the Jays are, the, are not going anywhere. I, right. I'm OK with them not being super interested in Kevin Durant. Not that that's like Same. a hot take or anything, but I'm fine with them going after it again with the roster that they have. I love Brogdon. I think it takes some of the playmaking scoring. I think when people hear playmaking, they always think of like assist guys, right? Like a Steve Nash or like a Rondo or somebody that's just setting everybody up. Right. Uh, he gets to the hoop really well. He shoots well. I think that his scoring ability on offense will hopefully take some of the pressure off the Jays where they have a true third scorer. I think the team last year, they had guys that could get hot like Marcus or like Al, uh, but they didn't have a guy that was consistently a true third scorer on that team. Now they, I think with Brockton, hopefully he stays healthy. I think he can be a true third scorer for the Celtics, which it will be critical for them. I'm with you with getting some more depth to limit the minutes that Rob plays. Honestly, I would limit some of the minutes Brogdon plays because he's pretty injury prone sure. at, at times too. Brogdon to me is a signing for, for May and June. For signing to put you over the top or trade, excuse me, to put you over the top. It's really not about getting the one seed in the East. It, it's about you needed one more scorer and he's that one more scorer. And hopefully the finals goes different this time around because you have a piece like Brogdon. So great trade by Brad. Uh, Gallo's not the de- defensive stopper that maybe you wanted, but he's another wing. They have enough defense. They need to score. Yeah. They have. People yeah. keep saying, oh, he doesn't play defense. When you're so good defensively, you can afford to maybe add a guy that doesn't play defense. Yeah. So he's a guy that is another wing, which is what they needed. They needed somebody that could eat up minutes and give Jalen and Jason a breather at times. And I think Gallo's capable of doing that. So that's all good uh, with me as well. So all good things for the Celtics. They they really stealth mode a little bit there from Brad Stevens. The Brogdon trade came out of nowhere a little bit. And some of the, the- no, I called it. I, I knew that was coming. Cause I, I said, 
I booked a tea time Friday at noon. I said the Celtics are going to make the trade while I'm out on the course, and that's exactly what happened. Well, everybody else in the NBA news cycle is looking at KD. They're looking at the Brooklyn situation, and all of a sudden Brad Stevens on a Friday afternoon makes probably the most shrewd move of the NBA offseason so far by by basically stealing Malcolm Brogdon for for pennies on the dollar for Aaron Neesmith and Daniel Tice. Like, see you later, right? So that was a great trade. Bruins really quickly. Jim Montgomery. Is he officially the coach yet? I, I don't think, I think so. Yeah, I think they made it official. Did they make it official? All right. I hadn't yeah. seen the official press release. Jim Montgomery, uh, really good coach. Had some off the ice issues, personal matters, that type of thing that knocked him off course. But he's been successful everywhere he's gone, both at the college level and with the Dallas Stars before uh, some of the things happened with him off the ice. A smart hockey guy, it sounds like. Uh, was really good with the Blues as assistant on the power play. It's a Steve Sarkeesian situation, right? Like if he if he keeps it on the if they can keep him together, he's a really good hockey mind, and I think he's a decent hire as long as everything goes well off the ice. Well, it, it comes down to two things for me why I can't get excited about it. First off, he, I don't think he's a better coach than Cassidy. Yeah, right. You let the better coach go, and it's still a front office thing. You know, he still needs the pieces. He still needs yeah. the tools to you talk about him being great hockey mind. I don't think he's a bad hire, you know, to not have a coach and go to hit like you're in good shape. I think they would have been better off staying with Cassie. I think they're all right now, but you got to get him the pieces. There's a report out today that the Bruins are trying to trade up into the back end of the first round. Yeah. I don't entirely get that because those guys usually don't play year one and it feels like they should be in win now mode with Bergeron coming back. Um, there's another report out there that they're going to look to spend big money on a center. I don't know where that money's coming from. Yeah. Uh, so that, that would probably hint at a number of different moves. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but at least you have one big piece of the puzzle in place now. in the fact that they have a coach, whether I agree with every move the Bruins make or not in the, over the next couple of weeks, they should be very, very active in this off season. Cause they got to move some chips around, right? Like clearly right. their team isn't putting up. So whether they're going full tank rebuild mode mode for a year or two, or they're trying to move some money around to free up some money to go after a legitimate second line center or somebody to elevate the back end along with McAvoy and Lindholm, they, they got to make some moves it, it, whether one way or another. Like there has to be a clear direction of the team uh, of trying to improve either in the short term or, or taking the long-term view at it. If they just re-sign Bergeron, and I think there's a chance they might bring Krejci back now that Cassidy's gone and try to go back and and run it back with this crew, right? With this core. Yeah. And, and just because he missed the season with the Bruins, Krejci is still a part of the core, right? Like that's still a core player. Right. I, I, I feel like that's a, that's a recipe for another bounce in the first round as a seven or an eight seed by a much better team, right? That's, that's clearly going uh, nowhere if you're the Bruins. So either swing big or go backwards, right? Like those are the two options I think for the Bruins at this point. Sure. All right. Uh, you can go and, and follow Alice's. Uh, you'll have some Bruins coverage. I'm sure you're going to do some well, Matt Bruins and Ty, stuff. Matt and Ty crushed that. They yeah, don't really need me, but 98, five, the I mean, Ty's got some stuff up that. today, so check yeah. that out. Again, 98, five, the sportshub.com. Yeah. And uh, Evan Marinovsky does a great job for us on CLNS uh, covering the Bruins as well. And uh, Connor Ryan with, with BSJ. So a lot of good Bruins follows in town that you can go ahead and, and get some uh, some more. I'm going to say on my part, I'm going to speak for myself, not for Alex, some more educated opinions on the Bruins. Uh, go read those guys and, and not listen to us, Jamokes. All right. Uh, 
we're going to wrap it up here for the hour. And uh, we really appreciate everybody listening to us today on this uh, post July 4th hangover show of ours here today. Appreciate everybody that asked the questions. We'll be back on Thursday for another uh, throwback Thursday. That's going to be our last throwback Thursday. And of course, now here comes the, the bots and into the chat, right. As we're about to wrap this thing up. The throwback Thursday on Thursday will be our last one of the offseason. Then we're going to get into some training camp preview stuff and really get into the nitty-gritty as we head towards training camp. So throwback Thursday on Thursday in a couple days, and then training camp preview stuff from that point on. So really looking forward to it, and you can keep it right here on Patriots Beep for all your Patriots training camp coverage. So until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we'll see you Thursday.